We're continuing our, uh, our series, Momentum Series, where, uh, where we're uh, talking about how to handle money, how to deal with money, and, uh, and trying to do it in the way that glorifies God. And uh, we've said this pretty much every week, but just to continue to, to emphasize it, so as you read the Bible on your own, because that's really what we want for you, uh, is, is I, I hope that this is not all the Bible you get per week. Uh, what we want for you is for you to be reading the Bible every day on your own and, and reading it and asking God to speak to you and the Spirit to, to breathe life into you as you read, read the Scripture. That's what we want for you. Because if, if this is all you get every week, then you are, you are spiritually malnourished, just as you would be if you only ate one meal per week. And so as you read the Scripture, you will notice that there is a ton of stuff in there about money and about how to deal with it. And so what we want to do every week when we, when we talk about this is, is we don't want to just talk about things that I think are true about money or that some guy on, on a, a news channel thinks about money or even what just what Dave Ramsey thinks about money, even though he, is, he has written the material that we're using. We want everything that we talk about to be based on what God says about how to deal with money in the Bible. And so that's what, that's what each one of these messages every week, that's what our, our lessons in Financial Peace University that so many of you are doing in life groups are based on. And so, so that's, where, that's where we're going. And, and we, we started last week and, and we talked about um, just principles of, of money management last week and starting that off. And today, uh, I want us to talk about what, what is wise and what is unwise, but we want to focus on the wise. And, and I think one of the things that, that all of us would agree if, if, uh, if we were honest, is that we would all agree that if you spend everything you earn, that's, that's not very wise. And in fact, what a lot of us do is not only do we spend everything we earn, but, but because of this thing called credit that we can get in this country pretty easily, uh, we, we tend to spend even more than we earn. And, and if we do that, that, that's not wise. In fact, the, the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 21.20, this is what he says. He says that precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So someone who's foolish, they just spend up everything they get. Everything that comes in their hand, they spend it out. But someone who's wise, uh, they don't do that. And so what we want to talk about today is the wise person. And what does the wise person do? And, and one of the things that we believe that a wise person with their money is that wise people save money. Wise people save money. Now, uh, we've used this stat before, and you've probably heard it in your, in your life groups, that 70% of Americans uh, are unable right now to cover a $5,000 emergency out of their savings. They've got less than 5000 saved. So if they had a $5,000 emergency right now, they could not cover that out of their savings. They'd have to have to get a home equity line, have to borrow from somebody they know, they'd have to try to get a small loan from a bank, or the worst thing they could do is go to one of those check cashing places and do that. But that, that's what happens, is, is that there are 70% of Americans right now who can't cover a $5,000 emergency. And you know as well as I do, it doesn't take long to get to a $5,000 emergency, does it? Things add up. Pretty quickly. I remember the last time I went and bought a set of tires. It had been a while since I'd bought tires for my car, and I went in and I said, "Hey, I got four hundred bucks. I want to get a set of tires." Dude said, "Man, when was the last time you bought tires? You can't get a set of tires for four hundred dollars." And uh, it, it, stuff, it, stuff, just as expensive. And so it doesn't take long to get to a five thousand dollar 
emergency. And so saving, if, if we can begin to save money, that's putting wisdom into action because wise people save money. There's a great story in Genesis chapter 41. So if you've got a Bible with you today, go ahead and open to Genesis 41 or pull that up on your iPad or your phone. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen. Genesis 41. And in just a minute, I'm going to start reading with verse 15. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we were in a different series of messages about baggage. And in that series of messages about baggage, Donnie preached a great message that day uh, in that series. And he based it on this story in the scripture, but he was kind of focusing on some different parts. You, you might remember it. He was talking about a guy named Joseph. Now, when Joseph, this is Old Testament Joseph. This is not Jesus' dad Joseph, all right? When I was a little kid, I grew up in Sunday school, and they talked about Joseph in the Old Testament. They talked about Jesus' dad Joseph. Nobody ever told me it was different, and I was about 18 years old before I figured out the guy with the coat of many colors and all that stuff was not Jesus' dad. It took me a long time to fix. So I, I want you to know that today. This is a guy that lived couple of thousand years before Jesus. And so, uh, but his name was Joseph, just like Jesus' dad, same name, but different guy. And, and this guy, he had a lot of brothers. And Donnie talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You might remember the story. He, he, Joseph had a way of getting underneath his brother's skin. He just annoyed them. They didn't like him very much. So one day, they came out to the field, and Joseph came out there to see them, and they just put a beat down on him, just an old-fashioned, just beat him down. But then, not only did they put a beat down on him, they decided, let's make some money off this dude. And so they sold him into slavery. These guys were coming by that were buying people, and they said, hey, we got this guy, he's pretty strong, he just beat him up, but he'll heal up fine, he'll do some good work for you. And they sold him into slavery, went home and told their dad that, that Joseph had died, he'd been attacked by a wild animal, and so Joseph ends up being a slave. Now, after he's a slave, he ends up in Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, he gets, ends up in prison on a trumped-up sexual harassment charge. It was not his fault. You can read all about it if you look in the book of Genesis, but it was, it was a, a, a woman who was out to get him, and he ended up in prison because of this sexual harassment charge that had no basis of, uh, of fact on it. So there he is in prison. Now, while he's in prison couple of guys have some dreams, and Joseph has a gift from God that he's able to interpret people's dreams for them. And so these guys end up getting out of prison, and he says to them, hey, just remember me when you get out. Well, of course they forgot. Well, actually, the one guy didn't get out. One guy died. The other guy got out. The guy who got out, he said he would remember Joseph. Of course he forgot him. But several years later, this guy who had been in prison with Joseph is working for Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is the leader of Egypt. He's like president of Egypt, the, the prime minister of Egypt. That's what Pharaoh was. And Pharaoh has a dream that is confusing him, and nobody can interpret it. So this guy who was in prison with Joseph remembers, oh, man, there was a dude that I was in a cell with back a long time ago. He could interpret dreams. So he tells them, go find Joseph. And so Joseph comes to Pharaoh, and that's where we're picking up this story. Genesis 41, 15. So I'm going to read you several verses here of the story, and then we'll talk about uh, uh, saving money here. Verse 15, it says this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, I'm going to stop right here just for a second. This has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. This is extra, so you're not even having to pay for this today. This is just bonus coverage that you're getting right here. Verse 16, I think, is the attitude that we all should go through life with. 
Because Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph could take all the credit right there and say, yes, I can. You have heard right, Pharaoh. I'm the man. I've interpreted all kinds of dreams, and I'm about to blow your mind and interpret your dream. But what does he say? He says, no, it's not in me. God can do it, and I'm just a servant of God, and if he chooses to do it through me, he's going to get all the credit for it. I think that's the way we all should live our lives. Whether, whether we're good at something or bad at something, we should say, anything good that comes out of me, it comes from God. He gets the credit. All right, that's, that's back to the story. Verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, so what's happened here is, is Joseph has just told Pharaoh, here's the deal. There's going to be seven good years. For the next seven years, we're going to have all that we, we can handle, all that we need. But then there's seven years coming after that, and it's going to be a famine. There's not going to be anything to eat, and it's going to be rough. That is what is on the way. And, and Joseph is saying to Pharaoh, God is telling you this. God is, is speaking to you through me to know that there are seven good years going to be followed by seven bad years. And the thing that, that we can learn from this based on what happens next in the story is that saving money is absolutely necessary. Saving money is absolutely necessary. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I hate to ruin your Sunday morning, but I want to let you know that famine is coming. Now, not a literal famine. We live in a place where there's probably not any of you in here that the last week you had to worry about what you were going to eat. In fact, probably most of you in here were like me. You had to worry that you were eating too much. That's what we have to worry about in this country. But it may, might not be a literal famine where you don't have food, but there is something that will come in your life that will be difficult for you financially. In fact, there's a, there's a statistic in Money Magazine a few years ago that said this, 78% of people experience a negative financial event in any 10-year period. So you take any 10-year period, you start today, 
in, in 2014 and you go to 2024, 78% of people in America are going to experience a negative financial event in the next 10 years. So the odds are against you. The odds are not in your favor if you are thinking, well, you know what? I bet it's not going to happen to me. There's nothing bad going to happen to me. I don't really need to save money. Uh, some of you have been through this before, and Sherry and I have experienced this with when Emily was born, uh, a medical emergency. Um, you have a medical emergency, where you, and that's usually something that you don't see coming. You can have a medical emergency in any 10-year period, and it can totally wipe out all of your savings. And if you don't have any savings, it can totally put you into debt. Because that stuff is ridiculous how much it costs, and you're going to pay it. There, you have no other option. And so, in, in fact, it was a couple of years ago I read uh, in Time magazine that it said medical bills are the number one cause of bankruptcy for middle-class Americans right now because people aren't ready for it. And something happens, and their, their insurance, they think they've got good insurance coverage, and maybe they do, but they got an 80-20, and they find out that their 20 doesn't have a cap, and, and then that all of a sudden they spend too much, or, or even their 20 that has a cap on the other end, they didn't save up enough to cover their, their 20 that they're supposed to pay, and next thing you know, they're in extreme financial debt. And so I want to tell you today that, that a famine is coming and that saving money can protect against that famine. It can protect against that emergency. See, in this story, there was a bad time coming, but what God did for Pharaoh is that he chose to tell him, listen, it's coming. You need to be ready for it. And what I like about this story is there are times in Scripture where God speaks very quietly. In fact, there's a, there's a time where God speaks to Elijah and it says that, that what he spoke to Elijah was like a whisper. It was a tiny little voice. And there's other times in Scripture where God kind of hints at things and doesn't speak real forcefully to people. But there are other times like this where God is almost yelling at someone and he's telling Pharaoh, listen, a famine is coming. And so what I want to do for you today is I want to be like the voice of God was to Pharaoh and yell at you and say, listen, it's coming. Coming. Something bad's coming. You got a blown engine coming your way, and you need to be ready for it. You got a slipping transmission that's going to happen sometime in the next 10 years, and you need to put some money aside. You got a medical bill. You got a froze up AC unit, and that's a, that's a technical term, froze up, and that's coming your way. And, and you need to be ready for that, and you've got to have some money put aside to be ready for that, that, that thing that's going to happen. See, in our life, emergencies are, are not a matter of if, they're a matter of when. Something's going to happen. And so we need to be prepared for it financially when it happens. And so saving for those things need to be a priority. Um, I'll tell you two stories in my life that, that relate to this, just so you'll kind of understand. It was a few years ago, um, our furnace went out. And it was about this time of year, actually it was closer to the beginning of March, and it was doing this thing where every time we turn it on, it would kick off and I'd have to go underneath the house, you know, through the, all the junk under there and, and like flip a switch and get it to come back on. And I kept thinking, I'm just going to hang on, I'm going to hang on, and maybe, you know, winter will finally end. And winter kept hanging on, and it was like 20 degrees one morning, and I said, all right, I got I to gotta call. Well, guess what? We had to have it replaced. Well, we didn't have enough savings. At that time, we didn't have a whole lot of savings. And so we had to go to the bank of my father-in-law, and uh, the, the bank of Mathis, and I had to go to my father-in-law and say, hey, we don't have any money to pay for this furnace. And he said, here. And we paid him back, and we got them all paid back. But I want to tell you that if that happens to you, my father-in-law is not going to loan you any money because he don't know you. 
But if, he, if I, I, I was having almost to go to the bank and ask for an extra loan because I didn't have the money. Now, fast forward to a couple years after that, and, uh, and, and our air conditioning unit messed up. And we, we, the whole outside unit had to be replaced. Well, we had saved enough money. And, I, and listen, I'll be honest with you, it hurt my feelings having to pay out of my savings. But what I was able to do is I was able to pay cash to the man who came and fixed my air conditioning unit, and I didn't know anybody anything. I didn't have to worry about paying my father-in-law back. I didn't have to worry about paying interest to the bank because we had saved a little bit of money. And so then what the next thing we did is we started immediately putting that money back into savings. And what savings will do for you is it will help when those emergencies come. All right, let's, let's continue with the story. So what happens next? So Joseph tells Pharaoh seven bad years are going to follow seven good years. And then he says this. This is Joseph speaking. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. It's a good day for Joseph. He was just in jail like 20 minutes ago. And now look what's happened to him. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Now here's the second thing that we need to understand. First of all, saving money is absolutely necessary. Second is saving money requires planning. Saving money requires planning. Here's what I love about Joseph in this story. Joseph is so different than so many of the people that we meet today. Um, one of the things that we're good at doing today in this country is we're good at criticizing what someone else does or what someone else has already done. We're great at that. In fact, if they had an, you know how we just had the Winter Olympics? If they had like an Olympic sport of criticism, America would just dominate the medal. We'd get gold, silver, and bronze every time. We're awesome at that. And, and, and you know that because you run into people that, that they want to tell you everything you've done wrong or what you should have done different and all that kind of stuff. I even knew a woman one time who told me, and I promise you she said this, she told me that she thought she, thought she had the spiritual gift of criticism. And uh, I told her, I said, I'm not, a, I, I said, I'm not the biggest Bible scholar, but I don't really think that that's in Scripture. There's some spiritual gifts, but I don't think criticism is one of them. And what I love what Joseph does here is he gives the bad news. He says, Listen, here's what's bad, here's what's going to happen, but let me give you a plan. I've got a plan for how we're going to take care of this. And most people don't do that anymore. They just like to tear down. They don't like to build up. And so Joseph has a plan. He's got, he's got a, an idea of what's going to happen, and, and this plan is great. Look at verse 33. The first thing he says is, Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So the first part of the plan was, put somebody in charge of this. 
You're Pharaoh. You've got a lot of stuff going on. You need to have somebody that you can turn to. That they, They're going to be in charge of this. The second part of the plan is, as he says, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. So he sets a specific amount. He says, we need to save. You need to have a guy that's in charge of the saving, and then we need to set an amount. And I think it ought to be 20%. That's what one-fifth is. Set, we're going to put aside 20% for seven years. And see what happens. And then the last part of the plan, look at verse 36. He says, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine. The last part of the plan was, we put aside 20% for seven years and we don't touch it until the emergency comes. Because that is a reserve. That is an emergency fund. It's not something that we go out when we want to buy a new chariot, Pharaoh. It's not something that we do and when you want to spend the money and have a big party for yourself. That is a reserve that's only going to be used for when the famine gets here. Now, now let me ask you a question. What do you think would have happened if when they got the news that there was going to be seven years of famine following the seven years of plenty? What do you think would have happened if during the seven good years, instead of having a plan, instead of setting an amount that they were going to save, if they'd have just said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to wait to the end of each month. We know a bad thing's coming. We're going to wait to the end of each month, and we're going to see what's left over and then see how much we'll save then. How much do you think they would have had to get them through the, the next seven years? I'll tell you how much. Not enough. And you know why I know that? It's because I know from my own life, and I know from your own life, from talking to you, that if you don't set a savings amount at the beginning of the month, how much is left at the end of the month to save? Nothing. You know why? Because we like to spend it. And so what you could have been saving, you spent on 25 extra espresso lattes from Starbucks. And that could have been going into a savings account. But every morning it was like, oh, there's Starbucks. Woo, I'm gonna put, there's a Starbucks at Ingalls now. I can go in here. And every time I buy bread, I'm also buying five more dollars worth of stuff at Starbucks. Or whatever it is. I, I know I'm, I'm, some of y'all are like Starbucks people and you think I'm picking on you. Whatever your thing is. But we can spend that money. And so they had to make a plan. They had to decide an amount. See, see nobody saves money by accident. It just doesn't happen. That we did a, a sermon series several months ago called Stuff No One Says. Here's, here's something no one says. I don't think anyone has ever said this. You know, hey, honey, I just was looking over our money market account. I just pulled it up online. We have $25,000 there. I have no idea how it got there. I guess we're doing pretty good on this savings thing. Nobody says that. Because you don't get $25,000 in your money market account unless you have a plan. And unless you know what you're putting in there. But you know what has been said a lot? Honey, I just added up our five credit card bills. We have $25,000 in credit card debt, and I don't know what we spent it on. Now that gets said a lot. See, going into, into debt requires zero planning. But saving money requires detailed planning. And, and we're good at, at going into debt, but we're not so good at saving that money. So, so here, here's what I want to tell you to do today. Your, your one thing that you ought to do, make a plan and write it down. Make a plan and write it down. Make a savings plan and write it down. Figure out what are we going to, all right, it, we're about to enter into April. So, so you've got just a, a few days before April gets here. You need to sit down if you're married, sit down with your husband or your wife. If you're, if you're single, you need to sit down with yourself and set a time to do it. And you need to look at, this is what I expect to make in April. How much of this am I going to put into savings? 
How much of this is I, am I going to put aside? Now, those of you that are in life groups right now, which is the majority of you, you have a huge advantage on this thing because you should have already done that. Because what's step one that we've learned in life groups that we're supposed to do? Say it, say it out loud. What's step one? $1,000 in an emergency fund, right? That's the first thing that Dave Ramsey says to do. Get $1,000 in the emergency fund and then start paying off your debt. And then once you get that debt paid off, you can start putting money back into savings. So those of you that are in a, in a life group, you're already working on that, which is awesome. But if you're not, decide today, what are we going to put aside? And you need to get at least a thousand. And I know Dave says a thousand dollars, and that's awesome. Personally, I wanted a little more than that for me to feel good about myself because I know we've just had some thousand dollar emergencies, you know, pretty regularly over the years. So we tried to get some more than that in savings. But but you do what you want. But make a plan and write it down. Assign each dollar a place. Now in this story, Pharaoh is in charge of the money, right? Because because he's kind of the the main dude there in Egypt. He's the the prez, the king. But he gives the authority over his money to Joseph. He tells Joseph, you're going to be in charge of this. Who who owns our money? Do we own our money or who owns our money? Say it out loud if if you know the theology of this. God. We believe that God owns it all. We believe God owns all of our money. But who has God given the authority to deal with that money here on earth? Us. See, we're just like, we're just like Joseph in this story. Pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, I trust you. I trust you so much that I'm going to basically put you in charge of all the finances of the country. You had a good plan there, and I'm going to put you in charge of it. God is saying to us, I'm going to give you this money, and I'm trusting that you're going to do what's right. I'm trusting that, that during the seven years of plenty that you're going to be putting aside some money so that when the seven years of famine show up, you're going to be ready for it. Saving money requires planning. All right, let's continue with the story. So what happens? Go to, uh, go to verse 47. Genesis 41, 47. It says this, During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And skip to verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. See, saving money protects your family and empowers giving. Saving money protects your family and empowers giving. Um, If you're disciplined in your savings, you'll be amazed at how quickly it'll add up. If you just select an amount, select a percentage, you'll be amazed at how quickly that it can add up. One of the things in verse 48 and 49 that's interesting, it says that, that they put 20% uh, away for seven years, and it says that they had so much that, that it was like the sand on the sea, uh, the, the sand on the shore, 
And so, so they saved 20% a year for seven years, and then it provided 100% of what they needed for the next seven years. Now, how does that math work out? Well, here's what I think happened, is I think that God blessed them because of their discipline, because they chose to do what, what he thought was best, then he blessed them because of their discipline. And I believe that God will do the same thing for us, that if we're disciplined in our, in our savings, and, and, we, and we, we're not out there just spending everything we make, that God blesses us for that, and He will begin to multiply what we have. And, and, and what happened was, because of their savings, then it protected the land of Egypt from this terrible thing that was about to happen. Because it says there in the last verse, 54, it says there was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. They were protected from the, the bad thing that was coming. When I was... Um, where I grew up in Columbia, uh, there's a, a big neighborhood over in, in West Columbia that a bunch of my buddies lived in that I would spend a lot of time in there. And it's one of these big old neighborhoods that they built back in the 60s where, you know, a lot of times neighborhoods are now they'll, they'll have 20 or 30 houses. This one, I don't know, it has 1,000 in it, I guess. It's just, it goes on forever, and you can get in there and just drive around all day long in that neighborhood. And, uh, and there's, there's one place there where I could almost, pro- I probably still could, I think I remember how to get to it, drive drive you to it now there's a place where the road comes and it makes a hard right turn but there's a house sitting right there where the road makes a hard right turn well one time and the the guy that lived in that house they went they went to our church and uh, there was a time where some dude i don't know if he was drunk he was definitely driving too fast he comes flying down there well he didn't make the turn so guess where he ended up he ended up on the front porch of that house him and his car, not just him by himself. Him and his car. It took out the whole front, you know, just went through the yard, took out the front porch of that house. So the man that owned that house, this is what he did. Once they got all that cleaned up, he hired a contractor and he built a brick wall right at the edge of the property. And it was nice looking. It had shrubbery and stuff in front of it. It was about four feet high, something like that. And, it, you know, it looked decorative and all this stuff. And so now... When you come down, if you don't make that turn, what are you going to do? You're going to hit that wall. Two different times in my lifetime that I can remember, people took out that wall because they did the same thing. They were coming too fast. But guess what did not ever get hit again? The guy's house. Why? Because he had built a wall that was protecting his house and protecting his family from stupid drivers from coming into, coming into his, his yard. A savings fund, if you have an emergency fund, a savings fund, it acts as that wall did for that guy's family. It protects your family from debt. It protects your family from financial emergency. But we have to build that wall. We have to t- take the discipline to build it. Now, now, saving, not only does it protect your family, but it also empowers giving. Because here's what I want you to understand. I don't want you to listen to me today and think that I'm saying, hey, you've got to save for you and save for you, and it's all about you because the world revolves around you and you just need all this kind of stuff. That's, you need to protect your family. But it's also, the other thing that saving does is it gives you the opportunity to then give to others. And when saving is done right, when saving is empowered by God and it's led by the Spirit, what will happen is, is that you will no longer be selfish with that savings, but it will give you the opportunity that when you hear of a need, you will have cash on hand to be able to help someone else. Larry Burkett, who is a financial guru, kind of like Dave Ramsey, uh, kind of preceded Dave Ramsey, he said this. He said, the only difference in saving and hoarding is attitude. The only difference in saving and hoarding is attitude. 
Because if you set money aside with the intention of protecting your family and having enough cash on hand to help others, that is saving that honors God. But if you're, if you're trying to gather as much money as you can just so that you can have more than your neighbors and do things that they've never done and because you desire to get rich and the book of James says that it's not good for us to desire to get rich, if that's why we're doing that, that's not saving. That's hoarding and that does not please God. That's an attitude that, that is not pleasing to God. See, savings, I mean, it's just basic. It's about as basic as it can be. You can't give something that you don't have. And so savings empowers giving so that when you hear of a need, how cool would it be to be able to say, wow, I hear of a need and I, I think someone needs to meet that need. And guess what? That someone can be me because I've got some money saved that I can help that person with. See, what if, what if you were able to give generously to a need you hear about because you're not paying two car notes? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? For you to be able to help someone out because you're not paying off a student loan or because you're not paying off the boat or whatever it is that you're paying on. Now, I want to I give you some, some statistics based on our church. Now, how, those of you that are in financial peace, remember when, it should have happened like first week of your life group or second week of your life group, your leader asked you to fill out a card with some information about you. Do you remember that? Raise your hand if you do. And you had to write some Detailed financial information, but you didn't put your name on it. So nobody knows what your card said. But we put all those cards together. We don't know who they belong to. And here's, here's the stats about us as those folks that are going through financial peace. There are 92 families right now going through financial peace. Now, family means you're in there as a couple and y'all's money is together. You count as one family. If you're in there by yourself and you are in charge of your own money, that counts as a family. So there's 92 giving units, families, whatever you want to call it, that are participating in financial peace. Out of those 92 families, they have liquid cash on hand. Now that, that doesn't mean that you have to sell some stock to get it or you have to sell a property or a car to get it. This is money that you could go get in the next day or two out of a money market account or a savings account or a checking account. Liquid cash on hand, those 92 families have $812,490. Now that's pretty good. In fact, that's better than the national average. That averages out to about $8,800 per family. So that's better than national average. So, so as, a, as a group, a lot of y'all are doing great at saving. Now here's what we know about averages. There's 92 families. Some of those have zero saved. So if it averages to 8,800, some of those have zero. That means some of y'all are doing really good and you've got maybe $15,000 saved or whatever. So, so that's good. So, so we're doing pretty good at saving. $812,490 in liquid cash. Now, here's the other number that we asked for. We asked, to, what is your non-mortgage debt? Now that means stuff that you have to pay on that's not a house. You're not living in that credit card. You're not living in that car, hopefully, or living in that boat you're paying on. This is stuff that you've just bought and you're paying on, or it could be student loans, medical bills, stuff that you're having to pay on. How much is it? Here's the number for 92 families. We have, as 92 families in financial peace, $2,281,574 in non-mortgage debt. That's how much we owe. Now, let me ask you a question. Just think with me for a minute. Just dream here with me for a minute. Don't, don't check out. What if 
Those numbers were reversed. What if we had, as 92 families, $2,281,474 of liquid cash on hand, and we only had $812,490 in debt? What if those numbers were reversed? What, what would that do for our church? How would that change what we can do in this community? How would that change what we can do when it comes to supporting an orphanage in Haiti called Alex's House? What would it do when it comes to supporting the churches that we support in other parts of this state and other parts of the country that are, that are starting right now? What would it do with other things we could do right here? What would it do with what we could do maybe with building something or, or, or buying new equipment? What would that change if we had almost $2.3 million cash on hand and only $800,000 worth of debt? Now let me ask you this. What if we had no debt? Now let's really be crazy here for a minute. What if we had no debt? And what if what, if what we used to have in debt, which was $800,000, we now had it cash on hand. So now we've got a cool $3 million cash on hand that spread out across 92 families. I believe that if that was the case, there would be a lot less need in our community. Because here's what I know about you. After having pastored this church now for, for nine years, here's what I know about the people of Freedom Fellowship. You are good people that want to help. And you are constantly looking for ways to help. And so if we took the barrier of being able to help, we took the barrier of debt away. Your heart is already there. Your heart wants to do stuff for people. And if we took the barrier away of you don't have enough money to help, and now all of a sudden you've got an influx of cash because you're saving what has, you've earned instead of spending what you've earned, man, I'm telling you, I believe we could do all kind of good things for the people in this community because I know that you already want to do that. See, the book of Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. This, this is about helping others, but it's also about securing the financial future of your family and your, your kids and your grandkids. See, if, if we spend every dime that we make on stuff, that's not God's plan. We'll have a lot of stuff, but, but it's, it's not God's plan. Yesterday, I spent all day long, literally from the time I, I got up and put on some clothes and went outside until about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, spent all day dragging stuff out of my attic to sell at a yard sale that we're having to try to pay off financial peace debt coming up on March 30th. And I, I, I spent all day long doing that. And I, was, and, and I was just amazed at, wow, we've got a lot of stuff up here that we haven't used in a long time. We just are a family that has some stuff. And you're probably like me. Some of you have got storage buildings full of stuff. You don't even know what's in there. But when you bought it, man, you had to have it, right? And so we need to get in a mindset where we're going to save instead of spend everything. And we have a responsibility to our kids and our grandkids. One of the things Dave Ramsey says that I like a lot is he says this. That if you give kids money with no training, they'll lose the money. He says give them training with no money and they'll make money. But then he says this, but what if you gave them both? What if right now you made a decision as a family that we're going to live differently, we're going to train our kids how to deal with money, and we're going to save money, and so that when we're gone, we've trained them how to use money, 
And then we're gone and we're able to actually leave them some money. And so they're not trying to scramble around figuring out how to pay for the funeral because we spent everything. But paying for the funeral is nothing. And then they've also got some cash on hand. What would that do for our kids and our grandkids? So here's, here's the two things that, that I, I talked about this earlier, but let me remind you. First is make a savings plan. I want you to make a savings plan. And then the second thing is if you already have a savings plan, I want you to go home and I want you to review it. Just sit down with your, if you've already saved money, just look at what you've got and say, okay, yeah, we feel comfortable with that. Now we're going to pay off the rest of this debt or, or we're going to continue to save in here and, and look for an opportunity to help somebody. But review the savings plan you've already got. Now, as we get ready to finish, let me, let me just say something that, that goes for today, but it goes for, goes for all of these messages that we're, we're talking about every week. Um, I want you to be, I want to be real careful that, that, that you understand why we're doing this and what we're talking about. Money is not our God. And we don't love money. In fact, the Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you know that to be true from your life. And you know that to be true from what goes on in our society. Someone who's in love with money, they'll do just about anything to get it. And so what we're talking about every week when we talk about saving and we talk about paying off debt and we talk about being financially responsible, we're not doing that because we're worshiping money or because we love money and we think that once we have a big pile of money, then we'll be happy. We're doing this because we believe and we believe the Scripture teaches and we've seen it to be true that money is a powerful force on this earth. And if God's people will manage it correctly, we can use that money to do great things for the kingdom of God. That's what this is all about. Is we, we want you to find financial peace so that, so that you can sleep better at night and so that you can know that your kid's going to be able to go to college one day and you can know that, that, that your, your wife is going to be able to be provided for after you die early. Sorry guys, but that's usually what happens. They outlive us. We want all that for you, but the bigger thing that we want is that, that if you can collect that big pile of money, then the, it can be used to do great things for other people. And I want to close again by just saying something I said earlier. How cool would it be if you had enough money saved up that this week when you went to work, you heard about a need someone had, and you were able to go to them, and you were able to say, here's some money for that and I want you to know that I'm giving you this because I love Jesus and he loves you I heard a story a few weeks ago and I'll close with this there's a uh, pastor in Easley named Dean Herman I don't know how many of y'all know Dean Herman he's a pastor of a church called Five Point Church in Easley and other than the fact that he played at Clemson football he's a great guy and um, I'm just kidding he is awesome and, uh, but he did play football at Clemson he, he was on the national championship team I think and um, he told a story where there's another guy who's a pastor, who's a friend of mine named Carl Martin. Carl also played at Clemson. And um, he said, Dean told this story, he said that when he was a college student, uh, he hated church people, hated church. He grew up in a house where his mother drug him to church, and, uh, and, and he never liked going, he never accepted Jesus, and he was anti-church. Well, by the time he got to Clemson, he was already married and had a child. He got married when he was a senior in high school, had a child. And so 
He's here. He's a college student. He's trying to play football, trying to get a college degree. He's already married. He's got a child. And he said that he remembers it just like it was yesterday. He said there was a, a spring day, and he was out watching the baseball team practice, and he really he was down and didn't know what to do. And Carl, who was a believer then and a believer now, came to him, and he said, Dean, what's going on with you? Something's wrong. And he said, I'll tell you what's wrong, Carl. He said, I'm trying to get my college degree. I'm already married and got a child. He said, and my wife's got a birthday coming up next week, and I don't know where the money's going to come from for me to be able to afford to buy her something. The next, I knew I was going to cry when I told this story. The next day, Carl comes to Dean with a wad of cash. And he said, this is from guys on the football team that love Jesus and they love you and they want you to have this to buy something for your wife for her birthday. And Dean Herman said that that was the first time in his life when he had experienced the love of Christ in action. And it came through someone giving them some money. This powerful force of money was used in the life of a, of a, of a man to turn his heart toward Jesus. And he didn't accept Jesus that day, but it put him on a path to where he began to open up and understand that not all Christians were terrible and that some people loved him and did love Jesus and it turned him on a path to where he is today. Now he pastors a great church over in Easley and is doing great things for the kingdom of God. But it started with some people who had enough extra cash on hand that they were able to give it to him and say, I'm giving you this because I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. Let me pray for us and we'll go home and uh, let's make some plans together to be able to do some powerful things for the kingdom of God with the money he's already given us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth that we read in the scripture. And sometimes it's easy to read and hard to live out. And so I pray that this week, that when we run into difficult situations, we'll remember how true it is and we'll take those steps even though it's not natural to us that we will be responsible with the money you've given us, that we will take that seriously, that, that you have, have made us the manager of this, just as Pharaoh made Joseph the manager of his money. I pray, Father, that you would do miracles in our lives financially so that we can help others. We know that you own it all, and so help us to treat your money the way you would. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.